Welcome to the Catalyst Church Podcast. We're here up in Humboldt County, California. We're glad you're with us. We hope that you're blessed and that you find peace and grace in the Word of God today. Thanks for reading that, Jay. Um, Yeah, you know, this is an interesting story. I felt like it was something that we should sit in today. Uh, I know it's a longer passage of scripture and I'm not going to do justice to it based on just one sermon. We could probably sit for weeks in this one passage of scripture and see what kind of relevance there is for our lives and what it meant for the woman at the well. Um, But the church, including myself, has long written scandal into this nameless woman's story, believing her to be some sort of harlot or sex worker. And I don't think that's who she was. After I've done more research on this passage this last week, I I feel like to distill her life into some sort of scandalous anecdote, it actually cheapens this encounter into one of good versus bad. Like she was bad and Jesus made her good. Where I do believe that there is some truth to that, but I also believe that her story and her life is greater than our assumptions, the things that we read into this with our Western lens. I think she has more to her than what we have done. And I think it's actually really important that we rehumanize her away from kind of that dehumanizing notion of her being somebody who is something a little scandalous that that I have caused her to be over the course of my reading and other pastors have done to her story. So I'm going to kind of imaginatively walk us through this passage of scripture, and I hope that there's something for you in it and that we can give her more meaning and in the process give us more meaning as well this morning. So I wonder like about her life. Maybe she was neglected by her parents or maybe she was um, abused or taken advantage of. Maybe her father died, uh, and as her father died, her own mother's and her own worth kind of passed along with his death. Um, you know, there's also like a, an allowance that we read in Deuteronomy of Moses, and, and Moses allowed divorce to happen, and it, and it caused, maybe that caused her to be left multiple times. Maybe the man that she was with at this point was actually part of the Leverite marriage law, which means that if her husband died, then she would then be passed along to her husband's brother um, to fulfill the marriage duties, of course. And so perhaps this brother had taken responsible for her life and for her well-being. Women and girls were no more than property of the men in their lives. This is a very highly patriarchal sort of a world where her her value and her worth came from whatever man owned her or was responsible for her. Her safety and her security resided into whichever man she had to be attached to, whether it was her father, her brother, her son, her husband, whoever it was that she was attached to, that was where her her safety and security lived. And, and maybe because of that, she was overlooked. Maybe she was looked through. I mean, it, from the reading of the text, it's kind of obvious that the people of her village didn't include her or tend to help her belong. She wasn't seen, acknowledged, or valued. She was probably really acknowledged or valued her own self as well. 
which I know is true for many of us. I, I, but for whatever reason that we might speculate, which is what I'm doing here, a reason either dramatic or a reason that's not dramatic at all, she felt an all-encompassing, total enveloping, deep void in her life. A void that kept her tongue dry and her soul sticky, parched. Something wasn't right. Something was missing and try as she might to relieve and to quench her soul. That void never filled. She kept thirsting. She kept aching to try to fill the void, never satisfied, never filling, always leaving thirsty for more and more. And as she filled that void, as we all do when we are desperate, she tried to lessen the loneliness and the abandonment and the feelings of unworthy or undesirable or whatever un she attached to herself. And I'm guessing that she probably packed a hard shell of protection around her, convincing herself that she didn't need anyone in her life. And the more that she withdrew from others, the harder that shell became. We don't know if the men in her life left her or if she left them, if she became a widow or if each man divorced her when he wanted a new life under that, that law of Moses. But regardless of her past, she came to the well that day carrying a water jug and a story, a story of pain that she tried to lessen by filling the void in her life with someone or something just like the rest of us. We are all built within us a need to fill that need with Jesus, but yet we fill it with other things all the time. And it seems like she is desperate to be seen. She arrived at the well that day, hours after any respectable woman would have come and gone under the high noon sun, burning heat on her brow, and she's surprised to find a Jewish man resting his back against the shady part of this well. She's surprised because rarely do Jews pass through Samaria and they generally avoid this place at all costs, this land entirely. And I'm sure she knew what was expected of her. Draw the water, avoid eye contact, Never speak to any man, much less a Jewish one, and then leave as quickly as possible. Samaritans and Jews had a long history of avoiding each other at all costs. The Samaritans descended from, the, from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, like the Jews. They found their genealogical line from the brothers of Joseph. They believed that the mountain they lived near, the Mount Gerizim, was the true place to worship God. And the Jews believed the Samaritans had heretically falsified the Torah, which are the five, first five books of the Old Testament, that, that they took it as their own. And so there was definitely a lot of animosity between the two. The Jews and the Samaritans not only avoided each other, they also hated each other. They believed that the other was wrong, misguided, misled. I mean, kind of like the lefts and the rights of us today that we believe oftentimes that the other is misguided or misled. Can you imagine how startled she was? How her heart paused its beating when she heard this man ask her a question. This man acknowledging a Samaritan woman obviously despised by her countrymen and village, positioning himself 
lower than her, showing his need and his vulnerability by asking her for help. He saw her. He saw her in that moment and he asked her for a drink of water. And as she heard the softness in his voice, the tired sound and human desire for water, she cautiously drew near. She knew that Jews hated Samaritans. She knew that Jews considered her and her people less than dogs, but he asked her for a drink? Didn't she know that her water jug was unclean because she was unclean? And to touch the water jug, much less place it to his lips, would disgrace himself and make him unclean. Why would he put himself in such a low, unworthy position? But she had nothing to lose. She was already an outcast, unworthy in everyone's eyes, desperate to fill that void, daily choking her idea of existence. She had nothing to lose. Have you ever felt like you have nothing to lose? Like, hmm, if Jesus invited you, do you feel like you have nothing to lose? I think that's the place we're meant to be at. Usually Jesus invites us. Usually we get to see Christ when we're at the bottom of ourselves, when we have nothing to lose. To say, yeah, yeah, here's a drink of water, Jesus. But she questioned him, of course. Like she questioned his motives, like what he wanted. Would he take the water she gave him and just throw it in her face? Would he belittle her or tell her things that she already knew about herself? Like she's obviously worthless since she's at the well during the noon sun. Like she asks why, of course she asked why. Why would you talk to me? Why would you acknowledge me? Why would you see me? And our sweet Lord, our soft-spoken, tired, human God King who sees the truth of this broken life with corrupt systems of power and privilege, supremacy and patriarchy that holds some people back and oppresses the most vulnerable, that causes suffering and division and hatred of oneself and the other. He sees her in the midst of a broken and corrupt world. He sees her, her whole story, every mistake she's done, every harm that she has caused others, the harm that other people have caused her, the societal systems that had made her less than others. Jesus sees it all and doesn't shame her or belittle her or tell her to do better. Because Jesus came to fill the voids and bring new perspectives to broken places and hurting people. And Jesus gave this woman a metaphor that not only did she understand, but was something that was super concrete and practical and would provide those constant reminders. Water. He uses her senses and water. He knew she was thirsty desperate to fill the void. And he uses water to speak of a bigger reality. Samaritans descended from the line of Jacob and are believed to have 
been part of the tribe of Israel that Moses had led out of slavery in Egypt. And when Moses led them out of slavery in Egypt, they then walked through a wilderness for 40 years. And so I'm sure that she had heard story after story told of being led out of Egypt into a dry and thirsty land, a wilderness, a desert where God went with them and continued to provide for them, providing water for them. I mean, sometimes out of the rocks themselves. Oftentimes the Israelites had to drink from brackish pools or polluted cisterns where rain would collect and sit and evaporate. But then they would come to an oasis like the En Gedi and find living water. This is a picture that we're putting up now of the En Gedi so you can see what it would have been like. This is water that is not still and sitting, but is moving flowing clear and cold, forming a pool that sustained shade trees, plants, papyrus, and wildlife, living water in the middle of the wilderness where everyone, regardless of background, religious status, educational levels, political leanings, relationship status, power, privilege, gender, could drink and be satisfied. She had heard stories of those 40 years of wandering, of water provided by God. And she also knew how important it was for her people to have this well that she was at, Jacob's well. And not only the fact that it provided water, but that this well provided status and prestige, confirmation that the Samaritans were right. But Jesus ignored her response of prestige and standing. He, he shows her in that reading that we read, he showed her that religious rightness and specific places of worship aren't as important as the individual flesh and blood made in the image of God person standing right in front of you is. He ignored her religious dogma that she presented that separated relationships and forces. I'm right and you're wrong. And Jesus spoke gentle truth and grace over her, inviting a Samaritan woman who was nothing in the world's eyes into a conversation. This conversation that Jesus started that afternoon under the harsh noon sun in a land of the less than is Jesus's longest recorded conversation with an individual person in all the gospel accounts. This thirsty woman who came to the well that day with a water jug and a story and a void she desperately desired to fill became known and seen and accepted, not in the secretive cover of night, but in the broad daylight, exposed, vulnerable, fully seen. Water became a unifier between two people who didn't mix. Their mutual need for water became a catalyst to see each other, acknowledging their differences, talk through the difficulty, and leave changed. Now, could she change her circumstances or, or shift the societal structures that held her and other women captive? Could she protest against such injustice or demand a livable wage or mutual respect for women? I mean, probably not. Maybe the systems of supremacy didn't change around her, but she certainly changed. 
the way she saw herself and her own value and worth begin to shift. And as Jesus sat near her, he looked right at her with deep love and acceptance in his eyes. He saw her. And as his soft words of truth without even a sliver of judgment or condemnation washed over her like the cool, clear waters of the Engedi, her fingers loosened around the water jug. And deep in thought over being seen as a person made in the image of God, meeting the only man who spoke grace and peace over her, a man claiming to be the Messiah, the Savior, the one who, who would bring meaning and worth to this entire world. She sat thinking about her worth. And her fingers continued to loosen around the water jug and still deep in thought. She probably didn't hear Jesus' disciples walk up or even see their questioning eyes at Jesus' motives. She thought about the things her people and people everywhere fought so much about, with who's right and wrong. Where can you worship God and where can you not? Who's in and who's out? What religious perspective is correct? She began to see the things that separate and divide and tear us apart shouldn't get so much airtime. What is important to God, she realized, is that every person is worthy from drinking of living water. Every person is invited to share from the same cup of feeling the fresh, cold, clear refreshment in a dry and thirsty land. And suddenly it became all clear to her. This well that she was at was a unifier. This place where water was provided became a unifying source where every person needed this in order to survive. Every division, everything that tore humans from themselves and each other could find mending within this living water. And her fingers released from the water jug and she stood up and she left behind what she came to the well with. She came in that hot afternoon stun with a story and a water jug. And leaving that water jug behind, she symbolically left her old ways of thinking, leaving behind whatever polluted waters that she had been drinking from. These corrupted her perspective and tore apart her community and herself. And she ran back to her village. And as she ran, I can imagine her releasing grudges and resentments with every step her sandaled foot took. And with clarity and purpose and her personhood fully intact, she invited this community to drink from the living water, to meet the Messiah, her friend, and to never thirst again. Because this life is not meant to be lived alone. Even with Jesus, we need our community, the ones that we have to forgive and the ones that have to forgive us to be with us in this life. She knew that she couldn't walk alone even though she had met the Messiah. She was still meant to be in a community. Friends, I think many of us have been drinking from polluted cisterns for far too long. 
We point our fingers at those horrible white supremacists out there while failing to recognize the racism, bigotry, and prejudice within each of us as we drink deeply from our go-to media sources. In our desperation to belong, to fill the void, we've placed our gaze on our bank accounts, on our relationships, on a president, on a pastor or a church or substances. We must begin to see what we've been filling ourselves with. The polluted lies that we've believed that says this person will save us, or those people are the problem, or I'm not worthy, or they're not worthy. I mean, how many of us are sitting beside living water while still lapping from the brackish pools of fear, resentment, insecurity, and guilt? How many of us are trying to quench our thirst from the bitter waters of, if only, if only my kids, if only this country, if only my church, if only I was married or single or had a different job or wasn't in this pandemic right now, then I wouldn't drink so much or lust so much or complain as much or fight as much. We're all trying to fill a void, aren't we? Friends, we are all so thirsty, but is it possible that we've been drinking from the wrong sources? And maybe we've allowed those sources to dictate our response to life. There are competing sources in this world, but only one source actually mends brokenness and heals wounds and brings life. When walking through the Judean wilderness, and the desert, God provided God's people with cool, clean water of the En Gedi, an oasis of soothing shade and refreshing streams and waterfalls spilling onto limestone rocks. And while together we walk through this wilderness and desert of life, God has also provided an En Gedi for us, the living water, Jesus Christ. In the midst of pain and brokenness, in the midst of fear and hurt, of abandonment and depression, of racist structures and oppressive systems, in the midst of if only and a mountain of regret, Jesus says, yes, yes, you have made some mistakes. Yes, you have been hurt and you have been taken advantage of. Yes, you drank from the wrong sources and you placed your attention on other things instead of myself. It's true. Yes, it's true. But that's not who you are. Jesus is the living water, which cleans and cools and refreshes and washes all that hurt and bitterness away. <laughs> Jesus sees you and, and fills the void. Jesus spills into your openness and heals those dry, cracked souls and tells a different story about who you are. And just as Jesus saw the Samaritan woman, she saw him too. Seeing from John's perspective, the writer of this gospel, John, see, seeing actually had to do with faith. And, and the fact that he wrote it in the noon sun, this had to do with seeing fully. 
I mean, not only was she coming out in the noon, so it had something to do with her her life and, and the meaning of what she was in that time, but it also had to do with seeing the world fully, seeing Jesus fully. She saw him too. She placed her faith in a savior who crosses boundary lines, who ventured into unstable territories where he might not be accepted. Jesus was vulnerable in that moment too. And I wonder, when Jesus sees us in our vulnerabilities, do we see Jesus in his vulnerabilities? Do we let Jesus into those hard parts, those tender, protected parts of our lives? And then do we have that new way of seeing Jesus in all of his fullness? Do you see Jesus? Jesus sees you, but are you opening your eyes to see him too? Because Jesus wants you to see him, to find thirst-quenching life within his incredible love for you. Why don't you close your eyes for a moment, maybe even stretch. Take a deep breath. Close your eyes. And I want you to imagine Jesus seeing you. As you see Jesus, what does he see when he sees you? So friends, may you open your eyes and receive the beautiful living water of Jesus Christ. May you see it all around you and receive it into your life, this this wet water that quenches all thirst. May you never drink from the polluted, dirty waters that the world lies to you, claims to you that will satisfy. And may you leave whatever your water jug represents behind and be changed moving forward in this life. And may you go in God's grace this week and be blessed.